Pro Group Management. Workers' Comp that works for you. Welcome to Nevada Newsmakers on the broadcast today. Selena Torres joins us. She's the Assemblywoman for District 3 here for the whole show on all new Nevada Newsmakers. Big R in Sparks is located on Bering Boulevard next to Smith's and across from Reed High School. It's a 50,000 square foot hardware store and a whole lot more. It's huge with clothing, power equipment, tools, and of course, hardware. Big R is located on Bering Boulevard and Sparks, next to Smith's and opposite Reed High School. Big R. Hardware and a whole lot more. Love and luck are in the air at Carson Valley Inn. $1,000 winners guaranteed every drawing night, up to $7,500 every Saturday, and $15,000 in grand prize giveaways Friday, March 31st. It's the Love and Luck giveaways at the Carson Valley Inn. Early in the morning or throughout the night, Professional truck drivers are on the job, serving you. Safely moving freight that's crucial to our economy. From the oldest industries to our newest innovators. From the exotic to the everyday. Trucks are everywhere, moving everything. Never afraid to embrace a future that makes Nevada and our nation stronger. Trucking moves America forward. Save money and take transit. Did you know you can ride the bus all day for less than what it would cost you for a gallon of gas? Plan your trip now by going to rtcwashoe.com. Nevada Newsmaker Studio is located at the headquarters of the Nevada Trucking Association. Motion and purpose are a truck's greatest virtue. This is Nevada Newsmakers with host Sam Shad, a no-holds-barred political forum. Now, from the Nevada Newsmakers Broadcast Headquarters, here is Sam Shad. And back on Nevada Newsmakers, we're absolutely delighted to welcome to the program for the first time, Selena Torres. She is an Assemblywoman with District 3 in Southern Nevada. Welcome to the program. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are very welcome. Uh, you're Chair of Government Affairs in the Assembly. What are your priorities for your committee? You know, obviously, this is my first time chairing, so I'm very excited to, to have the confidence of leadership to chair government affairs, especially since it's such a robust committee um, that deals with a lot of critical issues here in the state of Nevada. Uh, and really, the most important thing to me is making sure that I run an efficient committee um, that is fair, that is transparent. Uh, and that's what I exactly what I strive to do. That's why, you know, in the first two weeks of legislative cycle, I reached out to every single member of my committee, Democrat and Republican, to meet with them, learn a little bit more about them and their priorities this legislative cycle within my committee and outside of my committee. Um, but that's also why I'm ensuring that, you know, we are hearing from key stakeholders and bringing them in so that we can have critical conversations um, and, and really be ready to discuss some of the legislation that's going to come before us this cycle. Okay, so uh, give us an idea of, of what some of those issues are going to be for your committee. So, I mean, government affairs is a is a very interesting and general general committee because it's going to deal with like, uh, for example, we have legislation that ranges from uh, clarification on the roles of councils. Um, I, last week, we heard a bill regarding the Department of Veterans Services um, and just clarifying some of those roles, sometimes adding members to some of those committees, um, looking at uh, different state agencies and their roles and responsibility. And for me, it's really critical that we are evaluating those policies through with an equity lens, uh, making sure that it makes sense, making sure also that those responsibilities, if we're adding new responsibilities to the office, 
office that the, those are responsibilities that the office has the capacity to take on. I think oftentimes in legislation, um, we are adding responsibilities and adding duties to offices um, that they just don't have the capacity to do. So if we're going to be adding roles, adding responsibilities, we need to really ensure uh, that these are roles and responsibilities that the office has, has the team and has the workforce to do. Um, you are a charter school teacher, um, and that's kind of a unique position, one might think, um, for a Democrat. Um, tell us about your school and, and how you deal with working for a charter school versus in the public schools. So I'm a public school teacher. I'm a public school, a, a public charter school teacher. So all charter schools here in the state of Nevada are public schools. Um, public charters often do get confused with private schools, um, uh, the, the, but there is no cost to attend a public charter school. Like traditional public schools, um, we cannot discriminate against students uh, based their race, their disability. Um, so public charter schools are required to follow the same rules and regulations that other traditional public schools are required to follow. Uh, and they have to follow those, those duties that are set out by the Nevada Department of Education as well as the state public charter school authority. Furthermore, public charter schools are funded primarily by the state and they are accountable to the government body. Um, so both the, the charter schools are accountable to both the state, the Nevada Department of Education, as well as their own board. They kind of have a mini school board uh, model. Uh, and that's what kind of provides the charter. If the school is mismanaged at a public charter school, um, test scores are poor, uh, or, or there's something else that's wrong with the school, a public charter school contract can be terminated uh, by that authorizer. I'm very fortunate to work at a phenomenal school um, in East Las Vegas. Uh, I work at a public charter school, a Title I school in our community that serves predominantly students that live in the area. Um, so it, I think it's well over 50% of our students are walkers at our school, which means that most of our students are actually getting to school just walking to campus. So it really is a neighborhood school and a community school. Um, what what uh, income bracket would you say that the majority of your students are? Uh, are they rich, middle-class, poor? Where, where do they fall? So I worked at a Title I school, which means that the majority, 100% uh, of our students are free and reduced lunch recipients. Okay, so, so what does that say to people um, that say that uh, the charter school system is really only for the rich and, um, and the poor kids can't be a part of that? And obviously that's not the case. Uh, I'm really proud of the, the role that the State Public Charter School Authority has had uh, in making sure that as charter schools expand throughout the state of Nevada, that they're expanding in under-resourced neighborhoods um, and the communities that need them. So when State Public Charter School Authority and the board um, is evaluating whether or not a charter is going to be approved, they're looking to see whether or not that school is serving diverse demographics. They're looking to see if that's is going to be serving um, students from uh, low-income communities. Um, they're looking to make sure that that school is doing the, the, the outreach to the community to serve the neighborhood that it, the school is located in. And they're also ensuring that the school is serving uh, students with disabilities. So uh, for example, a school like mine um, in East Las Vegas, I think because our instructional leaders have done such a phenomenal job making sure that we have the resources that we need. Uh, I noticed that at our school, we actually have higher rates of students with special needs than in the surrounding schools. And I, I think it has a lot to do with just the attention that our instructional leaders give. Um, do you have uh, students that, that suffer from autism uh, within your school? 
I mean, uh, we serve over 2,000 students. We have students with all various uh, abilities and strengths. Um, I imagine that there are many students uh, with autism, just like there are many students that are English language learners, uh, many students with various uh, special needs. Um, one of the things that's unique about this particular session um, is the fact that as against everybody fighting over the lack of money, in this session, there's an abundance of money, which is a wonderful thing. Um, the governor has promised a uh, billion dollars for each biennium of additional spending on schools. Uh, the Democratic leadership proposed uh, an additional $250 million uh, to go towards education. Um, and yet there are others that are saying it's not enough. Uh, we've had um, Alexander Marks, for example, from NSEA on the program. And, you know, he, he's looking for even more money. Um, where do you feel that uh, the funding for schools is sitting at this point in time if, in fact, $2 billion, $250 million uh, is able to go in new money towards schools? You know, I, I really will acknowledge the work that um, Democratic leaders did throughout the interim to ensure that, you know, we have a legislative cycle where we're looking at a budget that is significantly larger than what we've looked at um, uh, before. Um, and so we really are able to make the investments in education that are necessary for our students. Uh, and so I know that obviously there's been a number of different proposals. We're going to be looking at all of them to ensure that we really are maximizing our investment in our students and in our schools. That means that we need to be investing in our teachers so that we can keep high quality teachers in our classrooms. And that means that we need to be investing in our students, ensuring that they have the resources that they need to succeed. I, I mean, I think oftentimes of like my first year in the classroom, uh, I taught at a school in East Las Vegas uh, and we didn't even have textbooks. I taught high school English and I didn't have textbooks. I didn't have books. Um, and you can't teach a senior English class without access to literature. Uh, and so I think, you know, when we're making these investments, uh, these dollars will help address situations like that uh, and help ensure that every student has uh, access to a high quality education. Well, and I, and I certainly don't disagree with that, uh, with anything you just said there. Uh, but I guess the real question is, um, is, is that amount of money uh, that's been proposed already enough in your opinion? Or are, are you thinking that there needs to be even more added uh, to the education budget? And if so, uh, how much are you thinking? Uh, I don't know that I, I know what the exact number is that's going to ensure that every child has access to high quality education. I can tell you that we need to make significant investments into our education system. Uh, I can tell you that uh, almost any investment is going to be better, uh, better than where we're at. Right. I don't know. You know, here in the state of Nevada, we've always said, you know, well, you know, if we if we throw money at the problem, but we've never thrown money at the problem. Um, so we need to actually invest in education. We need to ensure that that money is there for schools and, and therefore uh, there for our students so that they can have access to the high quality education that they deserve. Um, you know, off the, off the top of my mind, I don't have the number that's going to ensure that every student has that access to a high quality education. But I can tell you um, that we need to that that's part of what the legislative cycle is for. It's for us to have those conversations to see what that's going to look like, to see what the breakdown per pupil is going to be as well, um, so that we can pull the numbers, what that might look like in schools and different parts of our community. Uh, so we can see how this impacts rural Nevada, how we can, how this impacts Northern Nevada, how this impacts uh, a school in East Las Vegas or a school in West Las Vegas, which is the district that I represent. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's what this legislative process is for. And that's why we vet all legislation um, through our various committees. And I know that that's a conversation that our, that, that our, uh, our Committee on Ways and Means and Finance is having. 
Um, yes, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, in elections, for example, I always say that there's a difference between campaigning and actually governing. And I think that for education, um, you know, I think everybody wants to see teachers fairly paid, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, but the other side of that coin is accountability. And so um, what do you feel on the accountability side that needs to be provided um, so that the taxpayers feel that the, with all this additional money that's going to go into the school system, um, that, that there's going to be some kind of accountability? Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think that unfortunately we have seen um, education leadership mismanage um, the use of their, uh, the, the use of accounts and not ensuring that that money really is going to the students and to student needs. Uh, and I think it's really critical that we're doing that. Uh, and, and, you know, quite honestly, that is the role of the school board. The role of the school board is to ensure that those, that the, the, the budget that they are administering is being uh, administered to students. So I think that, you know, if we're going to have this conversation, yes, the, the, the state legislature, I mean, we meet every other year, we can set the, we can set the guidelines of like, this is how those funds can be used. And we have, um, and then that, that the Department of Education helps oversee that. But it is really up to our, our, our local leaders, our school boards, um, to ensure that the that schools as well as superintendents are using those funds to really improve the education in their community. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back with more with Selena Torres. She's the Assemblywoman for District 3, Activist Timeout. The Do It Right guys at Nevada Heating have one mission. Your furnace breaks down today, we fix it today. Why freeze for days while your furnace is down when Nevada Heating can get the job done today and you can get warm again? For nearly 50 years, locally owned Nevada Heating has been getting the job done right. Call today at 323-5585 and we'll fix it today. That's 323-5585 or online at nevadaheating.com. Pro Group Management is the place where companies can find workers' comp solutions that are designed to meet their specific business requirements. As regulations evolve, Pro Group takes a proactive approach to clear the path to make sure your business stays ahead of the curve. Knowing your workers' comp program is optimized, you can focus on other important matters related to your growing business. Pro Group Management, workers' comp that works for you. As you know, Reno is booming. Toll's development company is helping it grow with insightful design and development, building community with every project, adding beauty, adding excitement, emphasizing our shared humanity. Reno is becoming bigger. Toll's development is helping it become better, more livable, more enjoyable. To learn more, go to tollsdevelopment.com, tollsdevelopment.com. Hi, I'm Renee Summer, our digital news anchor here at 7 at 7. Watch our streaming nonstop newscast immediately with your mobile phone. 7 at 7 is the new way for you to get every bit of local news you need in just seven minutes. Breaking news, local neighborhood news, weather and sports are just a click away. Reporters bring you all of what's happening in the valley from Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, YouTube and more. Get every bit of local news you need from the RJ and LVRJ.com. This is Nevada Newsmakers. And back on Nevada Newsmakers, we continue our conversation with Selena Torres. She's the Assemblywoman for District 3. Just want to ask you one more question on education as a teacher. Um, you know, I was talking to a 23-year-old young woman a few weeks ago, and she was talking about 
um, how she was having trouble dealing with coming out of COVID because of the lack of social interaction that she had suffered. And that was really the first time that I sat and talked to somebody who's a young person um, who was, was sharing those feelings. How are your students dealing with social interaction having come back into the classroom after being out for so long? You know, I, uh, I think that, that this is a conversation that we're going to continue to have. And I know that there's obviously going to continue to be a lot of academic research on the impact of the, the shutdown on our students. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to note that, you know, those schools were shut down, education continued. Um, and so that's why, you know, with many students, we're seeing some of those, those gaps starting to close. Obviously, there were challenges, though. Um, and I do think, you know, it was challenging for students to be in a situation where they were not able to um, have interaction uh, in a in a physical setting with their peers. Um, and, you know, I obviously I think uh, communities had to do ha, have taken great steps to help close those gaps, investing in community programs, investing in recreational opportunities um, for students now. Um, you know, schools like mine are ensuring that there's after school, before school. Um, there's obviously tons of athletic programs um, that students can participate in. And so, you know, coming back from this two years later, I think that we really are starting to see those gaps begin to close. Um, will there continue to be an impact on students? I imagine that there will be. Um, will there be an impact on adults? I believe that there will be too. I mean, I don't know that it was something that was just restricted to our young people. That being said, you know, I I am confident um, in the in our educators. I'm confident in our instructional leaders um, to make the decisions necessary to help close those gaps. I, I will say, you know, coming back from COVID last fall, uh, so that would have been fall 2021. Yes, fall 2021, my students had a very hard time, you know, participating in discourse was really the challenge I saw. They would sometimes sit at a table and they would be texting each other, playing video games together. Um, and it wasn't really until fall 2022 that I started to see those students kind of break out of that shell and really start engaging with one another more. So, you know, coming back from this, this academic year, I have to say has been one of the highlights of my education career, um, being able to see our students kind of get out of that. And I had the students that are juniors at my school today were freshmen with me uh, virtually. Um, and so I've, I, I knew them first virtually and then I had them as sophomores and then I've had got the privilege of seeing them as juniors. And so being able to kind of see that growth. And I think, you know, we're finally starting to see our students kind of come over to the other side. I also think that, you know, there's been a lot of academic research um, that demonstrates that different age students responded differently to COVID. You know, so there were certain years like our kindergartners um, during the shutdown had a much harder time um, than our fourth graders. Um, and, and so I think, you know, when we, when we look at COVID, I think we're also have to look at the different ages of students um, and, and the impact that the, the pandemic had on those age groups. Okay, let's take another break and we'll come right back with Selena Torres. She's the Assemblywoman for District 3 right after this timeout. It's the 10 million point Break the Bank giveaways at Tamarack Casino. Plus, win your share of 50,000 in cash. The 10 million point Break the Bank giveaways plus 50,000 in cash at Tamarack Casino. Now through February 25th, your good times are at Tamarack Casino. Like a traditional handmade basket, retail is woven into the fabric of life in Nevada. From big box to mom and pop, retail supports our communities in countless ways. Jobs for the disabled, team uniforms for kids, help for the elderly, and so much more. Retail employs over 1 in 10 workers. Retail supports Nevada, and we support retail. R-A-N-N-V dot org. 
What do you count on? You count on your power every day. At NV Energy, we've always powered what's important to you, but we're not looking at the past. We're focused on the future. While our standards are high, our rates will remain low. And our commitment to renewables isn't just meeting standards, but leading the way. Because you can count on more than just your power. You can count on the company who brings it to you. That's our promise. You can count on it. Brian Culpa Photography was born in the rolling hills of Massachusetts, and now he can help you experience the stunning beauty of Nevada in a whole new way through the power of flight. Flying has always been a passion for Brian, and at Brian Culpa Photography, he can make your imagination soar. Brian has the creative mind and tools to tell your unique story. Experience the bird's eye view at brianculpaphotography.com. Love and luck are in the air at Carson Valley Inn. $1,000 winners guaranteed every drawing night, up to $7,500 every Saturday, and $15,000 in grand prize giveaways Friday, March 31st. It's the Love and Luck giveaways at the Carson Valley Inn. This is Nevada Newsmakers. And back on Nevada Newsmakers, we continue our conversation with Selena Torres. She's the Assemblywoman for District 3. You serve also on Commerce and Labor. What are you looking for regarding regulations, especially towards small business? Small businesses that survived COVID are coming back slowly. How can the legislature help? You know, obviously there's going to be a number of different issues that are going to pass through commerce and later, including regulations that impact small business. And I think, you know, when we're looking at policies that impact small business, it's really critical for us to ensure that we identify what problem that that bill is striving to solve and whether or not um, that bill is efficient at doing so. So when I say that, you know, sometimes we're eliminating regulations, sometimes we're adding regulations, sometimes it actually makes sense, right? Uh, it might make sense for us to change the system or protocol for collecting something or for doing something because it actually might make it easier for the small business owner. Um, other times, um, you know, there, there's legislation that might be introduced that make it uh, harder for our, our small business owners to do what they need to do. So, you know, obviously, I think, you know, it's important that when we're looking at those that legislation that are that are that are community members or small business owners are at the forefront uh, of those policy discussions. Should we be changing some of these regulations uh, that stop people who are licensed in other states uh, from being able to come to work immediately in Nevada when uh, we're in such dire need of so many workers in so many different fields that need licensing? You know, I, I don't know of any legislation at the top of my head that is going to make it more challenging for individuals to come to Nevada and uh, and get to work. Um, but, you know, I can see that there is a number of legislation that has been introduced that'll make it, uh, that'll kind of cut through some of the red tape and the barriers um, to getting licensed here in the state of Nevada. And I know we've looked at, you know, historically over the last couple of legislative cycles, I think we've looked at a lot of legislation that kind of streamlined some of these processes, make some of these agencies um, or licensing boards more efficient. And I, I think that really, uh, that efficiency part of that is really key to, to success, this legislative cycle. Uh, when you look at the hospitality industry here in Nevada, it's run by Hispanics for the most part. What do you want to see regarding immigration? And I know that's a federal level, not a state level, but I'm just curious as to your thoughts. 
Thank you. I, I appreciate that question. I do want to name, you know, that obviously uh, immigrants in our great state come from all across the world. Um, and, and although many of the immigrants in the state of Nevada are Latino, not every single immigrant here in the state of Nevada is Latino. And I think that they truly are our state's greatest strength. Immigrants continue to contribute to our local economy by working, paying taxes, and contributing to many of the safety nets um, that they unfortunately are not able to enjoy. Additionally, immigrants in our community are doctors, they're teachers, they're union workers, uh, and they work in the hospitality industry. Immigration, immigration issues are not limited to one sector of our state's economy. Um, and it's time that we honor their contribution and create a path for citizenship for them. Ultimately, though, that this is a federal issue. Uh, but here on the state level, I'm committed to supporting policy that will improve the quality of life for hardworking immigrant families, including my own. My father is an immigrant from El Salvador. Uh, and, you know, he pays his taxes. He does. Uh, he, he takes care of his neighbors. He's a citizen and he votes every election cycle. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's really critical uh, that we're ensuring that we're passing policies that are going to uh, improve our community for, for all Nevadans, but also immigrants. Um, let's change topics here to tax abatements. Um, Tesla is now about to uh, invest three and a half billion dollars uh, into northern Nevada. Um, in a second round of this huge investment into our state. Um, uh, how do you feel about uh, the potential for tax abatements for Tesla? I'm really happy to see the results of the Biden administration's clean energy efforts in funding vehicle electrification and manufacturing. Uh, this should bring more than 3,000 jobs to the Reno Sparks area. However, we have not heard from the governor's office about what kind of tax abatements the company will receive. However, what we will, what we don't want to see is another tax break for a millionaire that ends up not being translated into benefits for hardworking Nevada families. Like corporations moving their engineers and people from other states into our state instead of really investing in the workforce here in the state of Nevada um, or cutting jobs sometimes from Nevadans with no money investment invested into our community. Uh, it, it, sometimes the things like tax abatements just end up more money for corporations' pockets. Nevada law provides tax credits and abatements for qualified projects in which capital investment is greater than $3.5 billion over 10 years, as long as 50% of the employees are Nevadans and the company meets certain wage and health insurance requirements. So I think it's really critical that we're just making sure that these funds are going back down uh, to the working Nevadan. Well, bottom line, I think, is that when, when one looks at the Tajarino Industrial Center and the amount of workers there uh, that Tesla and Panasonic have been responsible for, um, I don't think there's going to be any doubt that those jobs that you're talking about are going to be created. I, I want to thank you so much for taking this time uh, to do the program. We'll be taping down in Carson City starting in March, and I look forward to you coming over uh, to the Bank Saloon where we have our studio and taping with us when we're in Carson City. Awesome. I look forward to having that conversation then soon. Very nice to see you, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Thank you very much, Assemblywoman, and we'll be right back. Imagine a magical garden that feeds Carson City's hungry and homeless, teaches our high school students agriculture, creates hanging floral displays to beautify downtown, and yet charges nothing. It's not magic. It's the Greenhouse Project. It's real, it's growing, and it needs your help. Go online to CarsonCityGreenhouse.org so together we can grow it forward. 
Modern boutique Ahern Hotel and Event Center sits at the heart of the Las Vegas Strip. Two floors of meeting and event space are ideal for groups and conventions. Stay in one of 200 luxurious rooms and suites. Brand your event throughout the property. Flexible event spaces make for easy planning and personalization. Take over the entire hotel with a full buyout option. Snorkel personnel lifts are engineered beyond the industry norm to an uncommon level of safety and durability and with an eye towards sustainability. They're also designed to be simple to operate and maintain. Snorkel, always at the cutting edge of progress. As always, you can watch Nevada Newsmakers 24 hours a day at NevadaNewsmakers.com. See you on the next show.